This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For your free trial, plus 10% off anything you buy, please visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, it's going really well. It's pretty early. It's pretty early. I slept a very, very, very long time last night, and I feel like I could sleep another very long time. I feel like like the Merlin that used to sleep a long time was an earlier version of Merlin. It was Merlin 1.0. And lately, all I think of is Merlin just never getting enough sleep. But you're telling me that that Merlin 2.0... Sometimes sleeps for 11 hours? Well, Merlin 2014 has started to find a lot of value in sleep. I will tell you that. And this is super interesting, I'm sure, to people. But like, I, I realize like, how many of my afflictions I could write down to the fact that I just wasn't sleeping very well. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I try to make myself sleep well now. And, I'm, and it's, it, it has definitely helped my old man quotient uh, in all the things where like people wonder why I'm, I'm such a homebody and never go anywhere. I'm like... But I'd have to go to bed at 11 if I do that. <laughs> my dad, I mean, you know, uh, my mom sort of famously only sleeps. Um, I, get, you know, I guess she, she gets a full night's sleep, but she wakes up at four in the morning. My dad would stay up all night and wake up in the morning just fine and, you know, like get get by on four or five hours of sleep. And I remember when I was young hearing that older people didn't need as much sleep. Mm-hmm. I do not know if I am finding that to be personally true. <laughs> it means you're still young. Of myself. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm still young. I still need 12 hours of sleep like a four-year-old. I, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. One thing that obsesses me in all kinds of things is like, I think that my amount of enjoyment of life in general and many things in specific, I have to admit, comes from something related to how much control I have over the environment like, I think one reason I didn't like jobs a lot in the past is because I didn't have that much control over the environment. You had to be in with the overhead lights and people and stuff like that. And I wonder if part of it is like when you have more control over your environment when you get older. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like people kind of leave you alone. You sit around, you watch your stories, you clean the cat box, <laughs> you go to sleep when it damn well suits you, mm-hmm. and then you get up at four in the morning and put on a tie to go to the DMV, even though you don't need to. Yeah, and, and, and I, maybe that all those like old people need less sleep stories are failing to take into account the three-and-a-half-hour nap they take sitting up in their chair <laughs> uh, watching uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> you know, like, that, right. that's, that counts as downtime, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yes, I totally agree. And, uh, but it's, it's weird. Like, um, you know, old people also, they do stuff like they poop less, and I think that frustrates them. Wait, 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 wait. Old people poop less? I think they do. I think. Well, how, what insight do you have into getting old that I don't have? I've known three old people, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Personally? Mm, you know, as well as you can know an old person. They become right. very opaque at a certain right. age. Right. I want to, I want to talk about memories. Um, but, yeah. but they also talk to you about their poop? Well, I, 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 I will just say that for my grandmother's generation, I think I've said this before, uh, my grandmother, I think, is somewhat emblematic of her generation. She's a post-Kellogg American. Mm-hmm. And she really thought, and gosh, she would be so embarrassed. My late grandmother would be so embarrassed that I'm talking about her poop on the radio. <laughs> the, the more brand, the better. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I think you're expected to make every morning. You know, that oh, you I see what you're saying. You didn't leave the house. It would, like, you know, be going out without your spats or something like that. I've told you the story about the priest uh, that cornered me in a 
in the fish bar in um, Sandpoint, Idaho. <laughs> Asked me how many BMs I had a day. <laughs> is that his opening line? Pretty much. You we know, sitting, we that's how Predator works, other. John. They, they, learn, they learn what really works. We were at the fish bar, which is a bar shaped like a fish. A giant, you walk in the mouth of the giant fish. I've, I'm sure I've told you this story. All right. And we were drinking red beer, which is a, which is a North Idaho tradition, uh, half beer, half tomato juice. Oh, God. And he, he leaned over. I mean, we'd been chatting, but, uh, but uh, he was like, you know, let me just break in. Let me ask you, how many BMs do you have a day? Mm. And I was like, boy, I don't know, one, zero? Sometimes none for a couple of days, sometimes a whole bunch all at once. He was like, <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not healthy. You need to have, you need to have two or three good, solid, healthy BMs a day. This man, this man is, is sitting here. He's sitting there. He's drinking tomato juice and beer like an animal and telling you that you should have three good BMs a day. That's what he said. Is that possible? Well, he was a priest. He's got like special knowledge. Yeah, he's not allowed to lie. So I so from that and then you know he's having this conversation with me when I'm 19, I guess. Yeah. So from that time to the present, I have always in the back of my head had a little sort of tally sheet, and I am if if three BMs a day is the standard of good health, I'm like probably 8,200 BMs down. <laughs> Like, I have so much catching up to do, and I'm not looking forward to it. You know, I'm not looking forward to getting the, that accounting square. I, that sounds like bragging, John. That sounds like bragging to me. To me, the problem is if you're having three BMs a day, they aren't good BMs. Something went wrong. He's saying that they were, he's saying that you need to have good ones. And I'm not sure whether you have to be eating in a, in a cafeteria of a sort of a seminary mm. to get the, to get the right balance of like jello salad and, and chicken cutlets or whatever it is that they're, you know, like green green beans. Let me ask you, John, how much heavenly hash do you eat? <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is once again sponsored by our very good friends at Squarespace. You know Squarespace? It is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. And they make the process so simple. They offer an easy drag-and-drop interface that has beautiful free templates you can tweak to suit your needs. All the Squarespace 6 designs are responsive, so they look great on every device. Also, can I just say, guys, podcasting. Podcasting. Let me remind you that Squarespace is the easiest way that I know of to set up and host your own podcast. Believe me, I know whereof I speak because, as with every episode of Roderick on the Line, the very show you're enjoying right now lives on Squarespace. That's just how we roll. All you got to do is upload your audio file, you attach it to a new post, and boom, you are doing big-time podcasting. It's that simple. Guys, I've been at this stuff for almost a decade now. I honestly can't imagine an easier way to do it. If you're ready to get started, Squarespace plans start at only $8 per month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which is a very good idea. Please do remember to tell Squarespace that you heard about them from your pals at Roderick on the Line, because listeners of this program get a free trial plus 10% off any package they choose by using the special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for all their great support with Roderick on the Line. We could not do it without them. <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I think back at, at the experiences I had as a young man, and I marvel at them and say, <laughs> "What the hell was what the hell was happening?" And also, how how do I remember? I mean, there are people around me who can't remember like what somebody said to them on the phone. You're so to, good today. at this. You're so good at that. 
I do not know why these things stick in my head, but you know, I, I, I every one of them is like a, a small component of the DNA of my of my mantra. When I wake up in the morning, it's like right three BMs today. Something you you to begin shoot every for. day. You're already in the hole every day. Three PMs today, hmm. and you know, remember the Battle of Midway, and also <sighs> <laughs> that, Welsh that, troll. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 time that I used that word wrong in 1981. <laughs> <laughs> that guy with the tattoos on his hands that I insulted when I was working at Steve's Broadway <laughs> News who's still mad at me, I'm sure. <laughs> you're you're like you are like you're like a mythical Greek beast. You know, it's kind of like uh, almost like a Cassandra thing. You know, you, you uh, you're you're condemned to never be able to forget. <sighs> never forget. That's this is right. What, this is what scares me about my stupid kid. Is like I've gotten now so into the thing of going like my kid is just. I don't know if she's just not receiving information. If that information is being poorly encoded onto her hard, hard drive, but we have a big problem with things like socks and understanding the role of socks and being able to leave the house. This, get ready for this. What is the role of socks? You need them. Yeah. Cause then you got to put shoes on before you leave. And that's 25 minutes right there. Oh. So, so I, I've gotten into this terrible habit of thinking that my daughter doesn't hear anything. And then she'll just blow my gourd off by remembering something deeply, deeply specific from when she was two or three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, so here's one thing about memory that I think is super interesting. Like, I, I know if you ask most people what their earliest memories are, they'll, you know, first of all, there's all this stuff that they know because their family told them that over and over. I, but most people's memories, I think, start, their memories as adults start around age five. Mm-hmm. So I just assume that something happens and they just hit reset. But stuff I've read recently indicates that it actually, it just starts erasing a little bit around five or six by 10. You're really, you know, forgetting a lot of stuff. That's what scares me. I don't know what kind of bullshit I've said one time that she's going to use to guide her life regarding her BMs every morning. And it's just some offhanded thing I said. I I mean, I, I, I still, I remember like such specific things, like you're saying, like talking to the priest over the tomato beer. I have such specific recollections of these things. I can't imagine how that's governing my day to day life. And it terrifies me. Well, I, I have to I have to think about that I think quite a bit because I am governed by these constant little like addenda to the constitution that I'm always adding and a lot of them are ancient <clears throat> and I have no idea whether 3 bms a day is is some kind of standard or whether this priest was crazy or whether this was some kind of like come on or or whether it was like an invitation to join uh, the Society of Jesus that I wasn't like I, 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 I was misinterpreting what he what he was saying. Maybe BMs were like bismillahs, right? Like like a, like a sacrament or something. Like how many bismillahs do you say a day? Bismillah. Oh, oh uh, I see. Yeah. Right. I don't know what the fuck was. Uh, who knows? But yeah. But I talk to people. Like I, I have a, I have a couple of close friends who both uh, kind of uh, casually shrug off. The, the idea that they have a really bad memory. Oh, I have a really bad memory. Shrug. And, and normally, I feel like that is a... It's either a self-fulfilling prophecy or it's a, it, a cop-out. You know, like, oh, you have a bad memory, so... Yeah, it's like a so, get-out-of-jail-free get get card out of for free. existence. But, uh, but you know, it, within, the, within the, the spectrum of human talents, it's obvious, right? Having a bad memory is something that absolutely could be an, could be an affliction, and you wouldn't know, you wouldn't even know you had it 
un- unless you were I mean, the only way you would know is by comparing and contrasting your experience with other people where they're like, do you remember that time when we blankety blank? And you're like, Jesus, I don't. Um, so I guess I must have a bad memory. And, but that, that could be a descriptor for a whole lot of things that were going on. You know, it's the old, like, is, is, is the orange that I see the same orange that you see? We both call it orange, <laughs> right? But like, how do, you, how do you gauge, you know, how do you gauge perception? except by by this like ungainly process of trying to describe your experience and and seeing if it's if it squares with other people right so the these friends that are like yeah i have a really bad memory and and you know and i go well you have a bad memory for like stuff that's happened recently you also have a bad memory for stuff that happened to you a long time ago or is it just that you're not turning experiences into metaphors you know, is it is it memory or is it is part of the process of me- of remembering things like like changing your changing memories into into metaphors or stories or or changing them into other forms that are easier to to hold on to and process hmm. and. And, a kind of a kind of uh, like unintentional heuristic, where it's it's your brain's equivalent of like writing it down in the big book, right? Kind, kind exactly. Of. Yeah, right. Like like twenty five other things happened that night in the fish bar in Sandpoint, Idaho, and honestly, I could not tell you, I could not tell you who I was there with, or why I was there, or any of the other sort of lead up to why I was at the fish bar in Sandpoint, Idaho and, and where I was headed afterwards. Like, so, so this priest said this to me, I found it remarkable. I found it a remarkable conversation at the time. And I'm, it's not like when he, it's not like when he brought this up, I, I reeled back and was like, Whoa, I've got to remember this. Right. But, but you know, I was engaged in the conversation. I was like, "Tell me more about how many poops I should be having." Like, this, I'm a, I'm, I feel like a grown up, and you are definitely a grown up. This is not a conversation I've had before with a with a fellow grown up, and so, you know, I'm really engaged. But then I took away, and you know, and I was also drunk. Mm-hmm. But I took, but I took it away from there and put it in the big book of my memory because because of. Because I converted it somehow into a into a story that that was a that was a bigger story. I mean, it, you know, it, it was more meaningful. And so, within the fog of this, like I remember the fish bar. I definitely know what, where that is. I could probably find it even. Um, but I don't know who I was there with. But then, out of the fog, I can picture this priest. I know exactly what he looked like. I know right where, right at the bar where we were standing, and I remember the five minutes that we sat and talked about poop. And and so, why did I convert that of all the things that happened that night? You know, why was that a thing that turned into a, in in a, in a way like a marble? Like it, it became hard like a marble. And went into my bag of marbles. And you don't find yourself wondering or disputing that it didn't happen or it happened differently than you remember. It's it's pretty well, it's a, it's a sand Doctor Who. It's a fixed point in time. Like, you, you know that this is the thing that happened. This is your marble. Well, yeah, because unlike unlike childhood memories where, you know, you've, you've looked through the photo album 
mm-hmm. sitting on your mom's lap. She's told you about the picture you're looking at. That affects your memory of it. And pretty soon you're like, I totally remember the time I stuck a knife into a light socket. It's like, well, do you, or have you looked at that photo album so many times? And, you know, but, but this memory of this priest, I had no second, there, there was no other confirmation of it. I it's no almost photo- like you could see it like a movie, right? You could see it, that scene playing. Yeah. And, and the way, the way I understand memory works is you recall that clip, you play it for yourself you re-remember it, and then you store it away. So with each re-remembery, I have sh- I've surely altered it. But, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's such a simple story, right? I'm not saying, like, the priest rode in on a, on a like, a custom lowrider bicycle, and, like, there's no, there's no detail to it. It's just this moment, and then, and within that, it's a very private recollection of me standing next to this guy, and, and I think part of what, part of why it was so, so, um, why I took it away was that it was one of those early adult interactions where I'm 19, the drinking age in Idaho at the time was still 19. Mm. So I could, I was legally in this bar and legally standing there with one foot on the brass rail, drinking an abomination, really. Mm -hmm. Half tomato juice, half beer. Disgusting. But it was, you know, it was the flavor of this, this area. And the fish bar is back in the woods. And that was during that, during that era of white supremacy in Northern Idaho. So Hayden Lake and the, the uh, white nationalists were very active in that area at the time. And so there was all this, like all this adulthood I was feeling in that moment. Like this is what adults do. They, they, they go to bars and they drink like terrible potions. (laughs) And I'm talking to a priest, like a real priest, not a, he's not a junior priest. He's not, he's not a minister. He's a priest. Like he's a priest who goes all the way back to St. Peter. And this is what he wants to talk about. And so here, so I'm amazed. That passes now. the test of a grown up conversation. Yeah, right. Like, I guess this is, I mean, at the time I had no way of knowing, like, maybe this is what all my adult conversations are going to be like. I'm going to be drinking beer mixed with something <laughs> in a bar shaped like an animal. It doesn't. We don't know the animal. We don't Could know it, that. It, we, all we know is it'll be some kind of a spiritual clergy person. We don't know what. It could be a nun. Right. Could be in a pig bar somewhere. Could be a rabbi. <laughs> rabbi in a pig bar. Uh, the, a great the, Morrissey the, song. Rabbi in a pig bar. There's a sense that outside the doors of the bar, they're uh, like very quickly, like right across the parking lot, and the, it's a dirt parking lot, right? So even the parking lot feels a little wild. But right across the parking lot, you're in the. You're in the wilderness of northern Idaho, and you are surrounded by clansmen, or worse, skinheads. And uh, and what do you talk about? What is there to talk about? Like, if he had said, how many times do you come a day? <laughs> I, I would have been like, this is what we're, this is what we're talking about, I guess. I'm, I'm new here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, 19, 19 uh-huh. years old and ready to, you know, I could go to Vietnam right now uh, if it was 20 years ago. 
but uh, it's a lot easier now. <laughs> but uh, but instead, I'm learning about what it is to be a man mm-hmm. here. <laughs> if you're gonna learn how to be a man, it might as well be from a priest in a fish bar in Idaho. <laughs> so why the fuck wouldn't that turn into a marble and go in my my bag? I, it, okay, so I'm gonna throw this out. I think this is another one of those. I won't say it's an old person thing, but I'll say a funny thing about young people. Here, there's a thread here. When you're young, you don't think about your poop. When you're young, you don't think about your memories. You don't have any reason to because everything's running as far as you know, running like a top. So I mean, even in like psychology classes. I would hear about things like how memories actually work, which seemed completely foreign because my, my memories were great. I knew exactly what I was doing. You hear th- about things like cognitive biases and go, oh, that's very interesting for people who aren't as smart as me. And now, like today, I, it's one thing to like realize you don't remember things. You don't remember things. It's another thing to remember you don't remember them as well as you thought. But I'll tell you what fucks me up hard is when – I think it's exactly what you're saying, which is that tape, that old VHS tape of that memory. Every time you play it, it degrades a little bit. Yeah. Every time you tell that story, it gets further, even if it's not a tall tale, it's still kind of, it might get exaggerated, it might get slightly, but each time you're, you're hearing that as well as saying it. And that's, I think, hurting some of the fidelity of the original memory, if it was ever there at all. But here's what gets me, is like when I find out I remember something wrong. When I have something that I consider like a hard little marble, and then I've been telling this story for years, and then somebody goes, that's not how that went. Right. And I feel I'm so chastened. I, I used to tell this, one of my, Go-to stories in interviews for a long time, we'd say, like, how'd you get into Max? <clears throat> and I'd say this, the same story over and over, which was that I had dated this wonderful woman when I started in my freshman year. She had a, a Magnavox uh, word processor. I wrote all my papers on it. And when she broke up with me, I had to uh, learn to you know type on something else, and I ended up going to the Mac Lab. And every little bit of that is true, I think, except for one important detail. I went to lunch with her one day after she had heard this anecdote, and she said, you know... You broke up with me. Oh. And all I needed to do was hear her say those words. And I went, oh my God, you're right. I broke up with you. That's a different story. <laughs> I got, it's, not, it's not crucial to, to the story, but how much else did I get wrong? Oh my God, that's a real tentpole of the story. What an right. asshole. I, I, had a, I had a wonderful uh, wonderful girlfriend from New England with a, with a Magnavox, and yeah. I broke up with her. Oh, you jerk. But I felt like such a dick, and it's exactly the kind of... I'm just saying. It's exactly the kind of thing now that makes me doubt myself, because I am one of those people who says I don't remember things. I thought I remembered that, but like, I wonder how much other stuff I just get like dead wrong, or remember the context wrong, or I didn't take a step back and think about all the facts and evidence. Well, you know? I feel like when I, when I learn that a story that I've told a lot, uh, many times has a factual error, it's usually exactly the thing that you're talking about, which is that I say, you know, uh, the second time I went to see the Grateful Dead, I met up with my bro in his Volkswagen Bug, and we uh, smoked pot the whole way over from Spokane, and Santana was the opener, and that was the night that I got uh, thrown out of the the Tacoma Dome because I had a bottle of peach schnapps, and a guy found me and threw me out. That's a good story. <clears throat> it's an amazing story. And you were like, it, it's just peach schnapps. Give me right. a break. Except take, you that, said you said to the guy, take away the schnapps, but let me stay, right? Yeah. I know I the story. It's a good story. Yeah, except that <laughs> the Pete Schnapps story was actually ZZ Top at the Tacoma Dome. <laughs> and everything else was uh, was true about the second time I saw the Grateful Dead. And the the conflation of the two things and and what what ends up being like like what 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 ends up being just sort of the window dressing on the story, because I feel like the reason the peach schnapps story or the, or the fish bar story, like the reason that 
that that turns into a marble and you walk away with it is that I've been trying to fit that marble into the right slot for the for the intervening 25 years, hmm. right? I pull that marble out sometimes and I go, is this where this story belongs? Did I learn that because it applies here and I and I push it into a to a contemporary context like the peach schnapp story at ZZ Top fits here and I and I try it out and that because I'm looking for a place where that is a metaphor for this I'm trying to I'm trying to interpret a new experience and I know I've been carrying around this bag of marbles for a reason and I go is the, I, I reach in and I'm like, does this story finally make sense in the context of this new information? Mm-hmm. And in most cases, you know, you try and fit it in there and you're like, huh, kind of. But every once in a while, you get one of those where you just stick the thing in there and it just locks. And you're like, holy shit, the story is completed. Mm-hmm. Like, like a There's thing not a that- lot of incentive for you to crack that marble in half and make sure it's what you thought it was. Right. So, so... But but the but the question of like was it the was it Grateful Dead or ZZ Top like that that stuff is the is the shocker where it's like I've been telling this story wrong the whole time. Oh, it's awful. But but ultimately that doesn't matter unless you're trying to. I mean that isn't the the reason you you made that into a story to carry with you, unless you're sitting around in a group of people and and everybody's telling Grateful Dead stories. And I think usually that's where it comes out. You start to tell your Grateful Dead story, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Wait a I minute. I like it better as a Grateful Dead story. Yeah, it's better as a Grateful Dead story. But the thing is, I don't think you'd get kicked out of a Grateful Dead concert for having peach schnapps. I don't think you get kicked out for making peach peach schnapps. <laughs> I feel like there the security guards at the Tacoma Dome at, for a Grateful Dead and Santana show have bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Whereas at the ZZ Top show, for whatever reason, come on, they're just they're looking for Southern comfort, and they found Peach Schnapps in this instance, and we're like, good enough. You're out on the street. Mm. Oh, so mad still. Uh, that's a terrible feeling. You know, I uh, hmm, I won't change the topic, but I uh, I heard a song, and uh, I really liked it. Was it The Grange? <laughs> no, I heard a song. And I felt this little twinge on the back of my neck. And I thought, first of all, my immediate thought was, this song is really, really good. Had you heard it before or heard it I for the first I thought I might have heard I knew. I thought I was pretty sure I'd heard it before. But I was fighting myself because there was a very strong feeling I was getting that it was almost certainly a Grateful Dead song. And I started uh-huh. feeling really bad about it because my marble does not fit in that slot. Uh-huh. And I took out my phone and I hit the Shazam Uh-oh. box of rain from American Beauty. See what a nice song! Oh what a, my! What a what an excellent album! I heard that and I was like, "God damn it! This fucks with my marble set." Because you know, I was sitting there listening to that and thinking, like, this could be something that REM put out in 1986, yep. or you know, or 85, 86. Like, it's really, really great, and it's not extraneous, and it's not full of the bullshit I associate with the Grateful <laughs> Dead. It's very manicured and uh, well edited. And I just, it made me angry, but it's a really good song. American Beauty is full of really excellent songwriting. And at that moment in history, like they were contemporaneous with the band and Crosby, Stills and Nash and all part of the same school as those guys. And they were all like 
collaborating on records with one another. I mean, they were, they were, they, that was a, that was their pop record. And it, it's a fantastic album. And, and he's you, a, he's a really good pedal steel player, right? Uh, I mean, doesn't he play on like teach your children well and stuff like that? Who, Jerry? Yeah. Plays the pedal steel? Uh, is that, that's what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll check it out. I didn't know. I didn't yeah, know. I think he's a pretty accomplished guy. And there was some kind of thing with the recording of that album and maybe the one before it where something happened and he ended up having to play more pedal steel. Hmm. And I, I think he's pretty good at it. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they're all really good. They're all really, really good musicians. Except yeah, so maybe, Fish. Except maybe Bob Weir. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but no, I mean, the, 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 the Grateful Dead hate... Uh, it's understandishable, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like there's a lot of out of tune singing and there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of those live recordings. Um, they're so, they're so messed up on drugs that it, that it's just like, it's not good. But, um, I've, for years, I have filed it. I used to be kind of, you know, because, you know, going to a hippie school, you end up hearing some Grateful Dead, but you hear about the Grateful Dead a lot. And yeah. it's another one of those things where you're like, it's like people who are into Tool. You're just like, ugh. I don't, I don't, I couldn't even name a Tool song, but like the people who are really into Tool or the people who are, to, to quote Sloan, who you love, the people who are really into Consolidated, you're just like, ugh, God, you're so annoying. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I think that's what it was. And then as I grew as a person, John, I mm-hmm. filed it more under my more grown up thing from uh, probably about uh, maybe uh, Merlin Revision 12 uh-huh. was like, this is just not for me. Yeah. And that was a perfectly fine marble in a very sensible grown up slot. But now I don't know. I might I might have to go back. I'm, I might have to go check my memories. I feel like the the key the key elements to be conscious of in, in the Grateful Dead are that uh, that they really pioneered the loud, clean guitar tone, hmm. um, which, <clears throat> as Dave Bazan pointed out the other day, you hear again in the Cure. Right the 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 clean but loud guitar that's not trying to be uh and, and, and in retrospect unprocessed because mostly again, unprocessed I mean, right. if you listen to something like an echo in the bunny men or something like you know there will be a lot of you know shaping of the sound yeah. right but th- you're right that's a really good point it's and he has, he has a great guitar tone it's it's great and and he's you know he's using like the chorusing effects that we started to hear later on clean guitar you know jerry garcia was doing all this like in and out of phase Stuff with his, you know, he had one of those guitars that had 11 different switches on it, and it's all, all the switches are like, this pickup's in phase now, and this pickup's out of phase, and and it creates a kind of chorusing or, you know, uh, like filtering effect on the tone, but really always very clean tone. So there's that. And then for me, the other thing is Phil Lesh, the bass player, never plays the same note twice. His bass lines are these like weaving bobbing up and down um like courses of notes that if you just kind of zoom in on them they're miraculous Hmm. um because they're they're you know whatever phil however phil lesh hears the patterns of music uh it's like it's a dimension closer to jazz or fur, you know, further from the surface of the earth than than where I live, and so he, the bass lines are like really all over the place and kind of extraordinary 
musical, just musical pieces on their own. And then, you know, of course, every, every once in a while, they, they would write a killer tune. Mm-hmm. So, all right, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it another chance. The bass thing is very appealing to me because as somebody who, I, I, I guess I have a feeling that a lot of bass players start as guitar players mm-hmm. and you can kind of tell who those people are. Don't you think? You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who who takes the bass for what it needs to be. I mean, like John Entwistle, he might have started on guitar. Who knows? But man, he plays that like nobody else. He plays yeah. the bass in a way that only a bass could be played. Whereas I'm more like Lou Barlow. Like like I'm out there going, you know, g g g g d d d d c c c c d d d d. Do you know what I mean by the difference? Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing about Entwistle is he 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 looks so calm and implacable, but in his bass playing. There's all this like ferociousness it's and fire, yeah. fury, just pure, pure fury. And Phil Lesh is again like another step out onto the grass, um, <laughs> where there's not a lot of fury in Phil Lesh, but it's not it's not just dumb, calm noodling either. He is, you know, he is chasing a unicorn across a, a lake, <laughs> and. <laughs> and I don't know what I don't know what it means half the time. You know, I really don't. With with Ant Whistle, I know what it, I feel like I know what it means because it connects with me so deeply. Mm-hmm. And if you zoom in, if you listen to the Who and you just zoom in on the bass, like you will just have a tremendous experience that that um, that for me is like very emotional and very like ah yes. Uh, and with with. And I think Phil Lesh, you know, the, what we think of as like the noodling of jam bands, um, the incomprehensible noodling of jam bands. Yeah, a little uh, with a lot of the kind of jazz inflections. Like if you don't get that stuff right, it's it's a pretty rough road. But with Entwistle, even when he does something like, how can I express this? Like a little pentatonic fill, like a little doo 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 kind of like little thing. <laughs> sounds like a building's falling down (laughs) like the simplest little like this is the end of this part of the verse that he'll hit it's just like oh man i'm really embarrassed to say this but just three days ago i was watching or not watching i'm sorry i was listening to soloed getty lee bass parts on youtube you do not want to set me on the path of isolated tracks on YouTube. <laughs> have you done it much? I have done it. I, I, I've done it quite a bit. The problem is that when I start going down there, I'm just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Get out, get out. You just listened to a three and a half long minute. You just listened to YYZ still with the bass solo. Like, and then you listen to it again. That's that's indefensible. Yeah. You're, you are making a marble that you are not going to find a, a slot for. You're not going to fit this in anywhere else. This is not useful. But it's but it's thrilling, you know. I, I, and the reason it, the reason it got me there was I was listening to soloed helmet drum tracks. That was the that was my entry point. Okay, and somehow, I want to write that down. That's good. Some, the, if you have ever listened, you went, did you go and see them recently? I saw Helmet within a, within a couple of years, whatever their last yeah. when they got back together, and you know it was phenomenal. But listening to the, the drum tracks of Helmet soloed, you know. Like the first thing that you notice is, wow, that snare is really tuned up. Like it is a tight snare and a ringing, a tight ringing snare. But then 
you, you, you zoom because because the thing is for most of the tune it's just kick and snare he's not you know it's like nabil used to say when we would do sound check and he would you know they, the guy would have him hit the tom 15 times right. during sound check and then nabil would say well that's you know like four times more times than i hit the tom in my entire set <laughs> like i just hit it 15 times i hit it four times during our set but uh but listening to the kick and snare of of um of these helmet drum you know isolated tracks the kick drum is just so dead on so relentless and so like you know you don't think of that you don't think of that music as having any swing because it doesn't but the but the pocket of it is just extraordinary so fuck i, I will listen to soloed musicians forever in a day and it's just not it's just not, it's not well it's not healthy i i i really feel like i've reached some kind of a nadir of both music dorkiness and well just really every kind of dorkiness when i'm sitting there and like my one of my go-to's is dave grohl on queens of the stone ages uh no one knows uh-huh. you know the song oh do i that's a hell of a those fills are from another planet but then so you're sitting there you turn it on and there's a lot of quiet for a while and then it's just don't 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 and it's the vast the part i remember are like four fills but because the thing is there's no there's no guitars right so all you hear there's four fills that i'm looking for but to get there i listen to like three minutes of which is a really good dunk cha well yeah it's basically my sharona ah right oh my god that guy's a monster it's depressing it's depressing but you know that's a nice way to spend an evening i mean it's better than like listening to noam chomsky lectures i guess i don't know Oh, you said a mouthful. Uh, you ever a, listen to isolated Noam Chomsky? <laughs> Where you just hear, it's just isolated Noam Chomsky mouth sounds and breath sounds. <laughs> we cut out all the words and just kept in the smacking noises. That Queens of the Stone Age record, I have to say, is like still a real, it's still a real influence on me. And I, and it, it, I can't square that with any of the music that I make. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. But but the sound, the tone, the feel of it, the the um, the attitude of it, and it doesn't fit. Part of it is like I, I'm always really into music. I, I'm not always into. I find myself when I think about the music that I like. It sometimes it's it stands across two or three genres. You could very easily put that into a couple different genres. Yep. But yep. it's still it's it really is its own thing. And but it's 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 aggressive without being like angrily stupid. It, there's something. There's always a little bit of restraint to it, yeah. but a, a menace. That song, <laughs> that song go with the flow mm-hmm. it had it had such a impact on me and you know go with the flow is obviously like surfer philosophy and stone and you know and they, and they are like famously a stoner band so but but there's also like something ironic in the delivery of go with the flow like or 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 with the background of the music it it feels like a, a pretty aggressive take on that, on that like go with the flow philosophy. Yeah, but in trying to in trying to take that song apart and see what it's made of, I realized that like like a lot of great songs, there's nothing to it. You know, it's two chords basically. It's it's the the impact of the tune is one hundred percent 
production and attitude. Right. There's nothing complicated about it. There's nothing. It's just, it's just sound. And I guess that's the thing as a songwriter that I've always, like, I, I always aspired as a songwriter to write songs that were not dependent on sound, that the song itself was elegantly built. That's a pretty classic, I don't want to say classical, but that, that's kind of the classic idea of a great song. Is you, you could play it just on a piano. You could right. play it on a guitar by yourself. Right. Right? I mean, right. it doesn't need strings to be, yeah, like, it's like Bittersweet Symphony. Like, I'm not sure how well that would come across on a ukulele. Yeah, it wouldn't, right? But but Solitary Man can be covered by by 700 different artists and the and the greatness of the song shines through. Yeah. I don't think another band could cover Go with the Flow and make any dent in it or, you know, that or any improvement. It's always just going to be the 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 album version is always going to be the best because it's a it's a it's like a sound creation. And in a, in a way that's different from like the Cure, which all those records are are sonic creations. Yeah, but like you could cover a Cure song and do a do a cool interpretation of it and make it into something different. I, but you couldn't cover a My Bloody Valentine song. exactly. And so I that's so exactly what I was just thinking. Where Queens of the Stone Age go, you know how how they manage to be in that My Bloody Valentine category. Although the songs have hooks and they're they're pop, but it's really like it's a it's a cake of sound. And you take any one element and try and zoom in on it and say like this is the guitar part, and it's like it's two chords. It's just two chords through a distortion box. It's nothing. It's nothing. So that so as I as I evolve as I progress, like my interest in the last five years has been about trying to make these sonic. Uh, tapestries but i don't but that isn't my tradition and that's not what i know best Mm. so in a way that's why i'm so why i have been so um unproductive like i want to make a record that sounds like loveless and have for years but so did he yeah right <laughs> Isn't that the story though? Like how he like nearly bankrupted Creation Records with the uh, the creation of that record. Isn't that yeah. that's, that's supposedly the story anyway? Yeah, and, and and in a way, I feel like the recording of it actually was the actual like stuff that happened in the recording was pretty simple. It's just like loud guitar, mic in front of the amp. But when I hear stories about how Loveless was recorded, where he he created like a tent out of blankets and would poke his head out and you know say to the engineer like just keep recording don't ever talk to me through the talkback mic and then he would you know go in under the blanket or whatever and <laughs> be under there for for 4 hours and the the engineer is just like you know, and half of that time, it's just the sound of him chewing gum. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? I don't remember the guy's name. Wouldn't it be great to be the like incredibly stressed out label owner, and you go to just kind of stick your head in to just see how things are going? <laughs> There's a blanket, yeah. and the engineer goes, "He's been doing that for ninety minutes." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. He's just under there. And I feel like the lyric. My, my understanding of the recording of Loveless was that the that the vocals were uh, recorded maybe extemporaneously a lot of the time and they just would go under the 
blanket <laughs> and like make mouth sounds and keep the tape rolling. And they made mouth sounds until those mouth sounds turned into word sounds. And then they did it until they had a, until they had a take. Hmm. And it's not like, I don't know. I've never seen That's a That's how weird... I do all my Cocteau Twins parodies. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, I actually have a, a fourth long winner's record that, is all, that has vocals on 13 songs uh, that are all mouth sounds. What I'm afraid of is that I'm going to die in a plane crash and somebody, somebody's going to be like, Let's go on his computer and find all the unreleased long ways. I know, music. I know. Like, like Nabokov's son, like mm-hmm. the estate decides to cash in and just takes all the stuff. And goes, oh, it looks like John was almost done with this. Or like even worse, hand those things off to my friends. Like, hey, would you guys like to finish this song that John was working on? Oh. Okay. Let me Mike, Mike Squire's Revenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hand it off to uh, to like a, a, a cross-section of the American rock scene. Oh my scene. God, what a nightmare, John. What if they got all of the disgruntled ex-Long Winners people together yeah. to record yeah. that? Oh or, my or God. Or every, every singer in the country that has some like vague grudge. That was never fully articulated. That's going to take some work. Oh yeah, let's hand That's this off. That's going to be a Microsoft Excel. <laughs> so let's uh, let's solo the vocals on this track. <laughs> see what he was really going for. You know what? I don't, I'm not going to add anything to that vocal track. I think it's perfect as it is. I saw Colin Malloy in a Bob Mould video. Yeah, can, can you believe it. that? Well, yeah, that video was directed by Alicia Rose, who is um, that's a pretty a funny video friend, and she was the original. Uh, sort of stylist and photographer of the Decemberists. Oh, so all interesting. Those, all those photographs that you see of them, you know, like <laughs> holding red flags on top of a castle mount. Looking like deluded miners on a break. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, that was all, a, a big part of that, a big part of that look that defined them early on was that all their pictures were taken by Alicia. So she's a Portland, she's a Portlander Ridge. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, apparently she has, like, naked hot tub parties, too. I Is that get, right? I keep getting invited down to, like, hey, if you need a place to crash. I'm like, I don't know. It would be terrible for you to misunderstand that invitation. You know, like... That could really... That, and again, this could be a memory thing where you... Maybe you heard that wrong, forgive my saying. But, mm-hmm. like, what, you know, what if you got that a little bit wrong and just showed up with the wrong stuff? Well... Back in the old days, I was I was looking through some photographs the other day, and I see I found all these pictures of me in the very early nineties, in my um, when I was in my modern primitive culture. Uh, I was still I'm still pretty much like I am now, but for whatever reason, I have found myself in a modern primitive circle uh, for for a large portion of my of my social like calendar. And that involved a lot of mud and nakedness and industrial music and, um, the early days of tattoos in, in places other than on your forearms Mm -hmm. and of, 
of uh, graphic elements other than anchors. And I was always, you know, a little bit outside because I'm always a little bit outside of every culture I participate in. But this group of people really did embrace me and I embraced them for a period of a few years. We were all very close and and um, covered with mud. And part of that was that we, you know, like you could not put intoxicating substances in us fast enough. Mm. But there are a couple of, I have a couple of photographs of me like sitting next to a fire pit with a, with a, like a dreadlocked girl sitting in my lap and like a, a bald guy with a long goatee and like pan boots <laughs> uh, <laughs> playing a, a, playing a flute and dancing around a, a goat carcass. Like, and I, and I look at a, pier- a like, pierced goat. Yeah, I'm just like, what the, what the fuck was I up to? That was a long time ago, but and I guess I guess at the time I I was trying to uh, trying to figure out what what was next in the world, mm-hmm. and that, that that seemed that was that was the logical extension of what hippie values would lead to, I guess. Right? I mean, that seemed like next gen. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't friendly anymore. It was. It was trending dark again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I felt like I felt like I needed to. I needed to be there, boots on the ground. Figure out what that. Figure out what this was all about. Pan boots. <laughs> yeah. Well, or like like you remember logger boots. How every, mm-hmm. every Every, I mean, I think back now and I'm like, you know what? Logger boots are really expensive. Mm-hmm. I didn't have logger boots at the time. I just had some old boots. But like, there were a lot of people in logger, like really nice logger boots. Those are the ones that are real high up, lots of laces. Yeah, right. Yeah. With all the extra, or like pole climbers. Mm-hmm. And I never, I didn't have any money then, so I never was, I didn't even go to the store to look at how much those things cost. I, I remember just, Doc Martin seeming out of my range. That's, that's how old I am. They were, they were a hundred bucks. Right. And I mean, you could buy, back then you could get a pair of Chuck Taylors for $15. Mm-hmm. So, so I remember, you know, kind of waltzing around through that culture and definitely feeling like everybody's got amazing boots. And I think the boots that I had, they passed muster because they were just thrashed. Um, they were just old, but they weren't tall. And I think back, I think now, and I'm like, even then, those boots were probably two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars at a time when I was making two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> Is this the minivan days? I don't. Yeah, well, no, I was making zero zero point zero dollars a month then, <laughs> but like. Well, even when I had a job, right? I mean, I, I, oh, the worst thing. I was going through a box of papers not very long ago, and I found an uncashed paycheck. Oh, no. From 1994 for like a hundred. You were drunk. $150. That was so much money. It was incredible. $150. Do you think you did it for a reason? Was it just oversight? Fucking idea. How, how, well, this is the thing. How would that have ended up in a, I mean, I definitely have a lot of boxes of papers. I, you know, I have a stack inside the, inside the front door. I have a stack of cigar boxes that now are, um, 
that's it's probably a five foot tall stack of cigar boxes and there's a cigar box for airplane tickets there's a cigar box for concert tickets there's a cigar box for unused drink tickets because everywhere i go i get paid in drink tickets and i don't drink so i you're just lucky to be able to play your music Rather than hand those out to people and say, like, hey, everybody, I got 10 drink tickets. Why don't you go get yourself an extra drink? Instead, I greedily keep them. <laughs> and I go home and I put, you know, I probably have $50,000. How, how else could you mentally calculate what you weren't actually paid? <laughs> I, have, uh, I have a separate cigar box for, like, sports game tickets. A cigar box for old IDs. A cigar box for other people's IDs that I find. You know, like, <laughs> looking up and down the stack of cigar boxes, there are a lot of different... Uh, oh, well, and two cigar boxes. I have a cigar box for backstage passes that are stickers, and then a separate cigar box for backstage passes that are laminates. I didn't know you smoked that much. Uh, well, no, you, also, just, you got another one that's just for cigar boxes. Also, yeah, I collect cigar boxes. <laughs> so I'm always out looking for cigar boxes. <laughs> But so somehow in one of these cigar boxes, I have an uncashed pay stub from the from 1994, and I'm like, I knew enough, I knew enough somehow to put this in a box, but not enough to cash it. I I, I can't imagine. It's one of those like canary, uh, butterfly in China situations. Mm. If I had cashed that 150, if you I know had what the interest extra, on that would be. Well, I don't. I think it's yeah. I don't think I. Can I think it's it. you know. I'm it's a compound interest, John. It's not. It's a thing. But what I'm saying is if I had cashed it then, if I had had an extra $150 that month in 1994, would I be where I am today? Uh, oh, the, oh, you might the, be way down in the hole. Right? Or would the decisions I made mm-hmm. based on having that extra $150 set me on a separate... Uh, you you a probably fund. would not have put it into a retirement fund. No, but I might have bought a... Who knows? An, I might have bought a, an ice cream cake. I might have... Uh, a single logger boot. I might have bought, yeah, put a down payment on a pair of logger boots. I mean, you know, what, I, the, I got fired one time, and I was sitting in a cafe the next day, like kind of bemoaning having been fired. And my good friend, Chris Cornelia, whom you know, uh, came in and sat down. He was like, you know, so you got fired. And I was like, yep. And he said, how much money do you have in the bank? And I said, well, I have actually been saving for the last year, I got 800 bucks in the bank. And he was like, what are you going to do with the 800 bucks? And I said, I don't know, probably drink for a couple of months. And he was like, you're going to take that 800 bucks and you're just going to, you're just going to sit around and not work and just, just drink. And I was like, can you think of something better? Like, yes, I'm really looking forward to this summer. It really opens up your schedule. And he said, let's go right now and buy you a guitar. And I was like, what? He was like, for 800 bucks, you can get a killer guitar. And you are always talking about wanting to play music. You're always talking about wanting to start a band. You don't even have a fucking electric guitar. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right. He was like, let's go. Let's get on the bus, go to the guitar store, buy a guitar. And it was such a revolutionary idea. I was like, okay. And we walked out of the cafe, got on the bus, went to the guitar store. And I had never had this. I, I had never perceived myself as having this opportunity before. 
And I went down to the trading musician in the university district and I walked in and that blonde Rickenbacker what? was sitting on a stand inside the door. And I was like, well, I can't afford a Rickenbacker. Mm-hmm. And the price tag said it was from 1967 and it was $650. And it had Gibson pickups in it. And I was like, look at that. And I picked it up and I played it. And Chris was like, P- you like can- P- PAFs? Uh, they weren't PAFs, but they were like 60s, like, you know, late 60s Gibson wow. pickups. That somebody had taken out the filtertrons that came with Rickenbackers and put these Gibson, you know, like 60s Gibsons in there and i was god like, that must have seemed like so much money it was extraordinary it was my entire it was almost my entire savings and i was like look at this thing and he was like you can buy it right now and i was i put it down and i walked around the store and i spent a couple hours looking at every other guitar and i kept coming back to this rickenbacker and he was like and chris was standing there just like that's the one you want buy it this is what people do with money they buy the thing that they want with it and i was like but 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 it's so much money and this money i could live on this money i could i could I could drink a thousand Paps Blue Ribbons with this money. And he was like, or you could buy this guitar. And I bought it. I took it up to the counter and I said, I will buy this guitar. And it was the first real, I think in a way, the first real thing I ever bought. Whoa. And that guitar was the guitar that I started the Bun Family Players with, and the guitar that I started the Western State Hurricanes with, and the guitar I started the Long Winters with. And you remember that, Rickenbacker? Of course I do. Have you still got it? Still have it. And so that was like... And not all that because of Chris Cornelia. Who would have thought? Yeah, it was Chris Cornelia saying like, do you know what money does? Are you aware of what other people do with money? (laughs) Like, do you know how money works in the world? And I was like, I know how money works. You put it in a shoebox or a cigar box and you stack it until you have a lot of it and then you look at it and then you then you drink your way through it <laughs> and he said you know i mean the reason the reason it's hard for other people to save money is that they buy the things that they want which obviously like you don't have that problem but every once in a while you actually should buy a thing that you want and, uh, you know, this guitar was like the, it was the thing that made it all possible. It's insane. Yeah. 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 67 Rickenbacker with Gibson pickups. Now, are you pretty sure you remember most of that correctly? If yeah. You- well, what we should do is get Chris Cornelia on here <laughs> and see if he can, if he validates that story. I mean, I, I think Chris would, would pretty shortly try and steer the story toward the time that I, broke into his apartment and and put a knife in his chest and told him I was going to fuck him. <laughs> He's like that. <laughs> <laughs>